0: Part of the excitement of our field is not having every answer mm-hmm. or every question answered, right? And so I think there's a lot of unanswered questions with the neck right now. It's like some of them I described earlier.
1: Welcome to the Talking Shop Podcast, where I'm here to share stories, lessons, and experiences in sports performance and professional development. I'm your host, Matt Tometz, and today I'm joined for a 2.0 episode, the return of Kyle Davey. How are you doing today? And tell me something good that's going on in your life.
0: I'm doing great. Um, got some exciting professional things going on growing growing business in different ways so i'm pumped about that um recently kind of concluded a deep dive into neck training and and all its applications. so that's that's been really fun and uh kids are doing great oldest is in kindergarten actually today he takes he's on his first field trip ever so that's kind of you know he's about it yeah Yeah. to a space museum so he's pumped i'm gonna hear all about it when i get home here soon so life is good man
1: heck yeah so kyle is one of those guys where you just follow along you're like how do you do everything that you do so i want to give a i want to give you some credit so before before we start so Kyle he's been on episode 101 almost a year ago it was last april it, it came out crazy so i met him when i shot a marketing video at his facility he's the coordinator of athletic performance for uh, northwest rehab rebuilding in salem oregon And I say Oregon just to trigger people, um, (laughs) people from Oregon tell me it's Oregon. I'm like, no, 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 I know that it's Oregon. Um, (laughs) and I was so eager to, to, um, get you on the pod that I actually had you on before I met you in person. I had this thing in my head where it's like, I had to post weekly. I let my followers on all this stuff. And you were a guest I wanted to have on. And we so I filmed the videos for the fellow physical therapist there. That was kind of the highlight of the video, but you were the liaison. And then we hung out for a few hours after, got lunch. And I just feel like if we had recorded it after I had met you, that not that it was a bad episode, but like, it's just the the moral of the story is meeting someone in person, like networking professionally, whatever, is the equivalent of a hundred emails 50 phone calls and 25 zooms like meeting someone live in person and just being able to to break bread as i don't know i've been saying that that phrase more for some weird reason just being able to break bread with someone in person is just just eliminates so much of that just getting to know someone in a professional context so uh you're a great dude i'm gonna be seeing you in a month or so and what brings us back to this 2.0 is i don't know how you do all that you do you have what four kids yeah you you work at um rebuilding you have salem speed academy Mm -hmm. and then it seems like every time you post an article that you write or a tweet a simple tweet i'm like first off how does he know about that topic that's so it's relevant (laughs) but random like there's a lot of different things right yeah but he's like smart and like obviously he knows what he's doing so like i just want to take a deep dive we can use net training as an example or or just your general kind of workflow like no, I, I don't really have too much prepared, but um, how do you do what you do? What's your process of like rabbit holing and learning and and take it away?
0: Well, first I'll say the the you know you, you mentioned breaking bread and today's Good Friday and Easter Sunday, so maybe that's why it's top of mind, right? So uh, yeah, I mean God is good for me to me for sure. I've you um, know I believe that being being I, I guess here we go. I guess, but be, to me, being Christian and being uh, you know, following God doesn't, doesn't mean that your life is going to be good. I think that's a common misconception. And I don't, know. this isn't a, I'm, I'm not a minister and I'm not attempting to, to minister here, but uh, God has definitely been, been good to me and, and even through challenges and whatnot. So there's been several, several points in my life. And we talked about this in the last podcast, actually, where in hindsight, I can see where really challenging situations, um, actually have opened doors for me and been really good, like positive teaching moments. And so, uh, for, you know, for me, I, I try and keep that mindset going forward. So I think it's funny you say breaking bread. Here we are on Good Friday. Yeah, and destiny. Easter, you know Easter, Easter Sunday coming up. But I get to, I guess to answer your question, I, I, I'm just fascinated. I've always been really fascinated by the human body, and pro- probably like a, you know, like a lot of us. And uh, I learned several years ago when I was working at a commercial gym that um, my impression is that there's two types of people that become personal trainers. And this was back when I was at a, a commercial gym doing a commercial gym doing general pop. But I noticed there's people like me who were really fascinated by the science and the application and anatomy and physiology and training theory. And then there was people who just were great people, people like they just liked being around people when they liked being at the gym and they were fit. And so they thought personal training would be would be a good career. I tend to be more on the uh, I mean, I like people and I think I'm social enough, but I, I'm i more attracted to this profession. I imagine many strength coaches and sports scientists i more attracted to this profession more for the science side of it than just being just liking liking people and so that's that's for me that I'm just perpetually fascinated by the human body and the human existence so when when I got turned on to the neck it was really easy for me to kind of get sucked in and, and the more I learned about it the more fascinated I became with how how dense the neck is with Sensory receptors and how integrated it is with the oculomotor and the vestibular systems. It's really fascinating research on how the neck supports the head and works together, like with your biceps brachii, to support the head during during running. Really fascinating research on how the neck uh, helps stabilize the pelvis during sprinting and changing directions and, and jumping. So, for me, it's it's really easy to get sucked in and go real deep down these these rabbit holes just because I find it I find it fascinating. So I'm I'm a nerd, probably like most of the listeners. I'm I'm a total nerd. So. Like at nighttime, Friday, Saturday night, I, I read and I do that kind of thing. And yeah, but it, it is challenging to balance it with, with family life and everything else, like you said. So my, my wife does a good job of keeping me grounded and making sure that I'm like keeping my priorities, the priorities.
1: For sure. Yeah. I I think it, it's important to kind of lean in and understand, like if if every rabbit hole you dive down is simply just for the end product of like an article or whatever it may be versus like just the process and the fascination of like learning stuff. You know, admittedly, this is something that, that I have been struggling with is like, I used to be so process oriented and I don't know now that everything's so technological or maybe I'm not in school. So like things are more objective or more, uh, the, the results are more uh impactful in my life whether it's like the monetary compensation or growing as a professional but i've become so product oriented unintentionally but like when's the last time like i just like got sucked in you know to to use that that phrase so i I think that that's an awesome way to like set the foundation of like diving down rabbit holes doing that stuff is for the process and the fascination and the learning not necessarily oh well i can you know i can make a podcast out of this and this is this um so so awesome start so let's let's use the neck so it's the process of rabbit holing but just like how the stories lessons and experiences the lessons are rooted in the stories stories just click and they're more engaging and stuff so let's use an actual example instead of theoretical so like let's kind of start with this like take take me through the the rabbit hole and and the processes that you had for like becoming super well-versed on the neck and we'll see where that takes us.
0: Yeah. Well, I've um, befriended Carl Valley. I think he and I have a pretty, pretty strong relationship at, at this point. And we have a medicine, you know, it's multi-professional, but um, he's, he's kind of sent me down a couple of rabbit holes and just give him, he's good at giving people things to think about. And I think you see that in, in his Twitter feed a lot. And, and so he shared a little bit um, he shared a few resources with me, like, like some papers, for instance, and said, hey, just take a look at this stuff and, uh, you know, let me know what you think. And he's sort of pushed me to, he's pushed me and he's sort of given me, I won't say projects, but like challenges um, that has helped me grow as a professional. And so I've, I've appreciated that about about Carl. And, and he really doesn't ask for much, much in return. And I've even asked him a few times, like, why are you doing this man? Like, what's, what's in it for you? And I, I, he says, and I believe him that he just wants to see the profession grow. And I can't see any other reason why, you know, why he takes the time to, to, to speak with me. And I'm sure other guys do but in any case. So he sent me some research and he said, Hey, you know, just check this stuff out. Let me know what you think. And he believes in, um, I, I don't want to speak for him, but I think that he believes in neck training for concussion prevention uh, so he sent me some research and I, and I started reading it and then I just kept going and I kept, you know, Googling and Google scholaring and pub, pub and finding everything I could about the neck. And, uh, then that's where I just started, kept learning things about how, like I said, how dense the neck is from a sensory perspective with the oculomotor and the visual, uh, visual and vestibular systems and how they interact together. That's some really fascinating stuff, man. Like when the neck is fatigued your posture like your posture changes and so like you like for a sway test for instance when the neck is fatigued your less your ability to hold a certain posture like a standing posture decreases or for one of one of the one of them that i found most fascinating was that, and it's just a lab test but imagine there's like a whiteboard next to you with like a red dot on it and a black dot that are apart from each other and your job is to you know, take a pin put it on the black dot and then draw a straight line to the red dot, basically. Right. And then you repeat this task a couple of times over and over and over. Uh, and then you're trying to see basically how close you're able to get, how close you're able to get to the red dot to, to the endpoint, Right. So it's like an accuracy test essentially. And so you do it with your eyes open and then you do it with your eyes closed and you see how close you are. Obviously with your eyes closed, you're not going to be as close as you are with your eyes open, but they found that when the neck was fatigued, it was even worse. It's like, why is that? Why, what, in the, why, why would that be the case, right? Why would fatiguing my neck mm-hmm. cause me to be less accurate in this? Like they called it, uh, I don't quite remember the joint joint repositioning, or I, I don't quite remember the term, but essentially what they concluded was that the, the, because the sensory input from the neck to the CNS was altered via fatigue, that your proprioceptive understanding of your elbow and your shoulder in space mm-hmm. was then diminished. Now, this is just a lab test, right? So I, who knows, but my mind immediately goes to like, what about a pitcher or what about what about like a quarterback, right? Where you you have a helmet on your head, your neck is obviously rotating as you throw the ball, your your head stays still, but relative to the rest of your body, it's, it's rotating, right? Mm-hmm. And so if there's any chance that neck fatigue impairs shoulder and elbow proprioception... Is it possible that a neck might get fatigued from a pit from playing football or from from pitching? And how does that affect my ability to like put the ball in the same like release plan? I'm not a huge baseball guy, but what I know about pitching is that where the ball is released, that makes a big impact on where the ball is ultimately going to cross the cross the Mm -hmm. plate. So, I mean, even if your proprioception is diminished by a little bit, does that affect your ability to reproduce the same positions and you know for a pitch or a javelin throw or whatever it is? And so. That question is unanswered at this point. I don't think it's been asked in, in the literature, but it's just fascinating to me. And that's just like one example. Well, then, like I said, there's the stuff about the neck helping to stabilize the pelvis while sprinting. And everybody who's into sprints like we are knows how important the pelvis is, right? And for sprinting and changing direction, accelerating, max velocity, uh, jumping, all that good stuff. So the more, yeah, like I said, the more, the more I learned, it's just, it's just fascinating. It's like this whole world of neck stuff and uh, some people are saying that the neck is going to be like the next pelvis or the neck is the, the next the big thing. And if any of this, if any of these questions pan out to actually make a difference in sports, then I think that I think that could be true.
1: Then you and you and Carl get all the credit, right?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, Carl's Carl's the one who sent me down the, the rabbit hole. And I, I did the webinar for fit. If anybody wants to watch that, they can they can still go look it up. And I think the landing page tells you that it was on March 23rd, which it was, but if you just register for the webinar, then you can, you know, you can, I think they send it to you or something. So Mm -hmm. anybody can go watch that webinar, but yeah, I mean, everybody, I I think, you know, most people who at least are aware of like the neurological system and and the CNS appreciate how vital sensory input is to not not only sports performance, but just our like life in general. So if your visual input is altered, if your vestibular input is altered, if there's a, a sensory mismatch happening, then there's a bunch of bad stuff that can happen. Everything from physical pain to like vertigo and dizziness, um, poor visual perception. And obviously like visual perception is very closely linked to sport performance. So if it's possible that either a fatigued neck or like a stiff neck or an injured neck or an otherwise unhealthy neck could affect those sensory inputs, then we can only expect the outputs to also be affected. So I just wonder how many like, I think anybody, a lot of people have had hard cases where there's like something going on with an athlete, whether it's from a therapy or a performance perspective, and you're not sure why, you've exhausted your 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 toolkit, and you're not really seeing the changes that you expect to see, and, you know, you feel like you've tried everything, you don't know what's going on. I wonder if the neck could be one of those links whereby if, you know, if, if there's something faulty, if there's stiffness or pain or fatigue that's affecting sensory input, if that could be part of the puzzle for not only human experience and human existence, but sports performance.
1: So, so where your mind went on that were, was rooted in practical questions. So it's, it's a weird combo of, you have to get into this stuff for the process. Right. But if there's no like end goal or you can't see it, like connecting to what you're doing, like, then you're just learning stuff, like simply just to learn it. So another that, that that's kind of contradicting what I said earlier, but so having your speed background, slash another question I have is like how you organized kind of all that information. Was it going down this rabbit hole, like how does the neck help me get faster? Or was it kind of like general and then you realize, oh, well, it does um like like motor control tasks. Oh, it also does sprinting. Do you have like different folders for all this stuff? Or like once you have a topic and you can see the importance of it kind of that next step of like consuming but you don't want to waste all that time just to be disorganized and you have to like start back over so like what's your process of of organizing and like setting yourself up for success and like step three later yeah yeah
0: and I, I did find myself waste like wasting a little bit of time making some of the like mistakes that you had just mentioned so but now my process is such that um well, I have this big like folder basically in, on my desktop or whatever, and it's just called research. And then in that folder, there's like neck is one of the folders in there, then speed and like resisted sprints. And I think like force velocity profiling and whatever else is in there, there's a bunch of different stuff. And so I just sort the sort the papers in there and I, I title the, the file name as the title of the paper. Um, and then, you know, you can expand your view to where it doesn't show you just like the first eight characters, but I have it all the way expanded so I can see the full title of the paper. When I was preparing the webinar for fit, I knew it was going to be like a Google, but like a PowerPoint basically. And so as I was reading the papers uh, on the computer, right, uh, in preview or whatever on the Mac. You can highlight so I have all the papers highlighted and what's nice is when you when you close it and then reopen it, all your highlights and all your edits are still there, which is which is super handy. So I went through and first I did that and highlighted everything I thought was relevant. And I used different colors for different meanings, like you know what if green was stuff that I think I might want to include in the webinar. Yellow was like other rabbit holes to go down. Like if it'll say something and then it'll cite it. Right. And I'm like, okay, I need to go find those papers and read those because that's there's good stuff there. And then I have just a Word doc where I had had the title of the paper, and then I summarized uh, like the highlights basically that that I thought were most important. Uh, usually with copying and pasting, so I have the direct text from the paper, and then at the end uh, of each like paper basically uh, in the Word doc, at the end of each summary, I would summarize. The, like the big picture take homes. So the big, you know, I might have six or seven bullet points that are direct quotes from the paper that are all fancy and sciencey because it's, you know, peer reviewed stuff. And then in the end, my little summary would be neck fatigue and neck stiffness alters the oculomotor system, which might impact sports performance question mark. Does it impact sports performance? And then that way it's easy for me to go through and see like what the big picture is. But then I also have like the direct quotes that I can go back and, like when I was putting together the PowerPoint, those direct quotes are helpful to be able to like answer questions or to be able to back up what you're saying, right? So that was my kind of organization process. And then when I made the PowerPoint, I included a lot of direct quotes, like in the first draft. And then I went through and cleaned that all up and made um, like notes, basically. So the PowerPoint itself is not super wordy. In fact, I don't think there's very many bullet points at all there's there's some but not many it's mostly just pictures so then you go through and there's a picture and then I talk about the picture and I talk about its relevance but when I first made it I had all the information actually on the slide just for my own self basically to keep myself on track and then I went through and kind of cleaned it up and made it a better a better presentation mm-hmm.
1: yeah so so there there's like a, a two-step organization process so there's one in the actual document itself so whether someone's like a print out and like highlight and annotate or doing it electronically You got to organize it in the computer so it's easier to find later, but then also a concise place like a Word document where you have everything kind of all together as like a, um, not a map, I don't know, let's just say a map, you know, as everything described and it connects X, Y, Z. And if you can do control F and say like stiffness and then you can see which articles reference, you know, stiffness if you summarize it well. Um, And then cool example of the, the PowerPoint and the presentation were like you did all the work up front, you just had to mix and match and put it in the order that that it made sense. Yeah. Um I did,
0: I did find myself like I found myself because by the end, my my neck folder now is has like, I don't know, probably 30 research papers. So then I found myself like, oh, I need to include that in the PowerPoint. That was really interesting which paper was that in and then Uh, that's where i wasted time and then i started the word doc where i'd keep everything going and that that saved me a ton of headache because i get frustrated when i waste time too i'm like i don't need to be spending this time combing through these papers to find something i've already read i should i should be smarter than this so yeah Yeah. (laughs) i started for mistakes i try to Mm.
1: yeah i did that when when i was doing my thesis for for grad school um and it was just so easy like it was like author's last name title journal and then year and then a word doc kind of of all of them and now um as i'm still um doing some stuff for beach volleyball like and i'm talking to people about it i'm like oh there was one article like that's why i say like monotony should be 1.8 but like where you know and it is so frustrating it's like i know it's somewhere i just don't want to click through like 15 pdfs trying to like figure out right (laughs) so it's a little more work up front but that's originally
0: why I started saving the papers to my like hard drive in the first place was because for that exact reason, I was like, oh, I know I read this somewhere, but where is it? Where is it on the internet? Right. And so now if I find a paper interesting, I just save it. So at least it's somewhere. I know I can go find it if I need to.
1: How about a rabbit hole? If you have one off the top of your head that doesn't have as clear an end goal. So like this obviously had a PowerPoint, so it makes sense, you know, a, a presentation, whether that was part of the agreement at the beginning of the rabbit hole or that came up as you went. um, Are there any rabbit holes where like, simply because you think it's interesting and you can, and you know that there's a chance to level up what you're doing on a day to day, you know, whether it be like force velocity profiling or something like that. So when the end goal, I guess, product just to use that language again, where the product might not be as clear, do you have any examples um, of how that process might be a little bit different, or just a different mindset shift, or anything that that you've enjoyed that hasn't been as concrete at the finish line?
0: Um, you know, I feel like most things like health and fitness related are pretty, pretty concrete. Um, and I, you know I don't really waste time. I, I won't say waste time, but like I find genetics interesting. and um like epigenetics, I think is interesting. But because I can't really see a clear end goal, like I'm not going to go down a big rabbit hole of like, what type of gene expression creates the more type two fibers in humans or or whatever, right? And so, but I I think I've gone, like I can look back in my career and I'm only 32. I just turned 32. So I'm still, I'm still young, right? But over the last like 10, 12 years, I can pretty clearly identify different periods where I had different focuses i guess and it was somewhat unintentional like i didn't periodize my career and plan to spend a year doing this but i definitely spent a few years like studying really hard on communication skills and i read a ton of books and i I did different things and that was really helpful i spent another couple years diving really hard into sales and the sales process and how to how to present and and a sales proposition and how to do that stuff I spent another couple of years diving into like leadership and read a bunch of leadership books and studied how to, and communication and leadership are, are tied hand in hand and sales is tied, you know, it's all kind of tied together, but um, I don't know. Those would be other rabbit holes that I've, that I guess have gone down, but not like, you know, human fitness and performance related, I haven't gone down any deep rabbit holes that haven't been
1: somewhat fruitful. Yeah. It's, it's, it's similar to watching presentations live. So instead of like consuming that information that someone else put together, similar to uh, your neck presentation, I think Chris Corfist is a good example as um, he's only like 45 minutes away from me. Um, you know, TFC, there's always one kind of near uh, me because obviously Chris is there and Cal is in Minnesota. And um, Tony Hall is not too far away either being in like central Illinois. And like, you always have, Like three to five exercises or concepts or ideas that like you mess, you want to mess around with like the next athlete that you train and not mess around with in like a truly experimental way. But it's like, I already do X, Y, Z, but this is such an interesting flip based on what he said. And like this concept makes sense. How can I apply this to the end of our warmup or this variation of a drill based on this one little anecdote or whatever that he said? So it sounds like instead of a presentation, it's kind of like getting those ideas and little inspirations from research papers. Yeah. If that's a connection.
0: Yeah, for sure. Like with the neck, uh, this, to me, this is fascinating because I I think part of the excitement of our field is not having every answer mm-hmm. or every question answered. Right. And so I think there's a lot of unanswered questions with the neck right now. It's like some of them I described earlier, but more, Was there was just one paper, but it did demonstrate a clear link between neck activity and pelvic stability while sprinting, specifically while accelerating, decelerating, and jumping, doing like a counter-movement jump. So then the next like question is: the way they set the experiment up was was, was kind of funky and they were not running very fast. But the next logical question is, does this apply to fast? like fast, you know, when you're sprinting fast, right. Or when you're changing direction fast and you did this cool kind of wonky experiment, basic, like base level experiment on a treadmill running at relatively low speeds. But how does this apply to like a hundred meter dash sprinter or a running back who's changing directions in the open field? Those questions are still unanswered and haven't, haven't been asked in the literature quite yet, or like neck stiffness and fatigue. You know, there's all this literature on neck stiffness and how it affects like chronic pain and visual and vestibular outputs neck fatigue and how it affects proprioception and ocular motor skills but the next logical question is like in those papers they had the in what at least one of the papers the way they fatigued the neck was by having you hold basically like a five minute neck like plank kind of where there's weight you know yeah like weight harness to your head and you held it until like five minutes or volitional fatigue and so that doesn't happen in sports But does the neck fatigue in sport? Like, does wearing a helmet is that fatiguing? If you're a pitcher where there's a lot of rotation happening, does that does that fatigue your neck? So is 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 the the whole fatigue thing even a? Is it just a moot point because I'm not laying off of a table with a five pound plate attached to my head for five minutes in a football game, but you are wearing a helmet and there's several impacts and your neck obviously tenses and and provides stability during impacts. So does the neck even fatigue during a game condition? And so to me, this is just all just really fun questions and. I'm, you know, I'm not a researcher at at this point in my life and I'm not going to go do the the research, but I hope somebody does. And I think it's, I think it's fun to think about and fun to, fun to apply the, apply what you learn. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. and, And with all of the questions not being answered or, you know, what other questions are there, I think is super interesting. And then also figuring out what is the answer for yourself and your situation? You know, like you said, with that article, it's like not relevant to probably 95% of the practitioners out there, like gen pop on a treadmill, you know. Right. Right. But can I apply this concept and like see? Um, I think the the neck might be like a, a tough example, but you know, like Chris Corfist works with like super high level high school track, college track, you know. Well, how does it work for like a sophomore field sport athlete? You know? Um, so I think it's 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 kind of just finding inspirations for that next iteration of whatever you're doing. And hopefully if you're a practitioner, you don't throw everything you do out the window just because mm-hmm. of one article or one presentation, right? Right. Um, but it's just stacking on those, there's an iteration here and an iteration there. And then over time, it becomes that much more sound and and um, stuff like that. But I guess next, um, if we took a, a step back and let's go through like a, a theoretical example because I find myself like i'll I'll see a topic or a tweet or like, oh, that'd be really interesting as like a rabbit hole. So what's what's like a, a rabbit hole that you kind of have your eye on next?
0: I don't know. I don't know where I'm going next right now, to be honest. I think well, I'm I am wrapped up in a business business book right now, and so i'll I'll, I'll finish that and um, continue building that out. But right right now, I'm focused on building the side business a little bit. So I've got some exciting things happening there with the Salem Speed Academy, in addition to like my full-time job with the clinic that you mentioned. So that's, that's been a lot of fun. And you know, like everybody, my time is limited, right? And like how you manage your time is is important, yeah? So right now I'm trying to build that side business a little bit and I've got some exciting opportunities there. So I, I don't anticipate diving down another rabbit hole anytime soon, but it'll come, I know it will.
1: Uh, then I'll, I'll have, I'll have coach Kyle coach me through, I think my next one slash I'm, I'm a few chapters into a book. I'm kind of the, the foot. Well, the book is about human locomotion, but basically just the foot and performance. Like we all know it's the first thing that hits the ground and the last thing that leaves the ground. And it's often the weakest link. Um, and I might have been sent down this rabbit hole by a similar person to your sure. rabbit hole. Um, but you know, so like, let's say you have a recommendation of a book. Or you have a recommendation of a, you know, like a cornerstone article, research paper on a certain topic, what do you do next? In general? Yeah, like 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 walking through the the process of like, you know, if if I told an intern, I'm like, hey, you know, load velocity profiling is is a big thing that we do as it informs our our resistance sprints and velocity decrements. You know, here's Matt Cross's paper you know, like where would they go next? Or in my example, as I think examples make lessons click more, you know, like I'm, I'm halfway through this book on the foot and human lo- locomotion, like then what?
0: Yeah. Well, for the, I'll speak for the neck. Cause that was the most recent one. I I, I went down and I have to say, we haven't even talked about concussions yet and, and we don't have to, but I do believe the evidence is clear that neck training can prevent concussion. So it would be remiss for me to talk about all the other like sort of fringe stuff, like the sensory and all that stuff, but not even mentioning that the, the whole purpose, of the whole reason I went down this next place in the first place was for concussion prevention. It's, it's somewhat of an unanswered question, but uh, the, the most recent meta analysis that I read was 14 out of 22 papers did confirm that there was a protective uh, factor. And some of those papers, like they called it neck training, but it was really kind of sus stuff that most strength coaches i think would look at and be like that's not neck training so in any case i have to at least mention that but for the neck what i did was i went through the the papers and then i i went through all their, their references so if i found that what they said they might just reference something right well it's been shown before that the neck blah blah, blah 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 and then they'll cite two or three papers well i gotta go i gotta go read those and so that's how i did but for the foot i think it would be kind of similar i know there's some really interesting papers i think based out of japan where they basically just had the people do like eight weeks of foot training, intrinsic foot training with like foot bridges and toe or towel curls. I think it was, and then they reported like a, I don't remember the the speed improvement, but it was like a 10th of a second on a 30 meter sprint or something like that. Or supposedly that's all they did different between the control group and the, the treatment group was, was just footwork so but I would I would consider diving into the the references and then I think it's valuable also to look at what other people in the field are saying whether it's on Twitter or whether it's on like Simply Faster where I know you and I have contributed in the past you got to take some of that stuff more with a grain of salt than you then you might with academic research or oh, maybe that's not true either but I think it's valuable to see not only like what the research is saying but then how people are actually applying it applying it and what they're saying about it and, you know in just kind of bedside conversation mm.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's having that first, whether it's a conversation with another professional and then they, they have a phrase or a topic and then you just put that into Google and away you go, or it's a book or it's a tweet or it's, you know, an article on Simply Faster knowing that the, the, um the, not the, the requirements aren't as stringent for Simply Faster right. as an academic journal, obviously, but that's also, it makes the information a lot more accessible, right? Yeah, and then like instead of just neck training, well, it's neck training concussions, you know. And then you read this one article, and that that gives you five more articles, and then it's like neck training plus concussions plus, and it kind of builds on itself, um, in a combo of what you find interesting, but also like kind of where it's leading you, you know, or the questions that you don't think are answered yet. Um, so for me, it would be like finish this book, and then if it was from a person, you know, you follow back up and say, hey, I have more questions about X, Y, Z or simply just, you know, like the first, the first and fifth raise stability in that area is super important for just speed and cutting and stuff like that. Then I look up on Google scholar, like first, fifth raise and just see what, what kind of pops up. So, um, it's, it's almost like it'll, it'll reveal itself as you're in it, I guess yeah. not to make that so ominous, but, um, <laughs> kind of just like dive in and ask questions and, um, Whatever, like something will will pique your interest for sure. Well, yeah, and I've
0: I've had some success reaching out to people on on Twitter or just via email. I said, hey, I, you published this paper, and I I really appreciated it and enjoyed it, and you know, could we talk a little bit about it? And it's, it's not always. Sometimes I get no response, but I've been surprised at how kind people are. And I think people appreciate it, like when you read their work and you're you actually take an interest in it. And a lot of people are especially appreciative when you're actually applying it in the field. So got mm-hmm. some success that way too, and just like talking to. Like researchers and publishers and ac- uh, academics just reaching out on twitter or via email or whatever
1: i've definitely had that that comment on my on my podcast before about the power of social media like i was working my way through the cpss and i i, I just happened to know one of the authors of the force plate chapter mm-hmm. and then i just like shot him a text i was like yo i'm reading your chapter like i actually have a question about xyz Then we hopped on zoom for like an hour you know <laughs> um but like if someone dm'd me about my thesis that i published on beach volleyball like that would be sweet. You know? <laughs> so I think you'd definitely be surprised about like how nice people are for sure. But then also, like you said, so I always I say it's the formula for reaching out is like, you do X, I do Y, and I have a specific question about Z versus like, Hey, let me pick your brain about neck training. Like I yeah. roll, you know? So yeah. it's all, it's super flattering when you come with like a super specific, um, you know, question or email or, or DM for sure. Uh, so that is all I had as Zoom is about to kick us off. But I feel like this is a good, concise episode, you know, with some examples, some kind of lessons, you know, trials and failures. But um, you you learn a lot of stuff and, and always impress me. So I figured why not shoot someone a, a text and ask them to hop on Zoom? Look at that. Next uh, time
0: I'm, I want to flip the script on you and I want to host your podcast with you as the guest.
1: Oh, my. I have been guest hosted once, but I, I would love to be guest hosted <laughs> again. Uh, we can definitely set that up for sure. Uh, I, I'd be honored. So we have a minute forty left. So I like to open the floor up. Uh, I'll, I'll have the link to your presentation in the show notes. But kind of anything else wrapping up on the topic of kind of rabbit holing as a as a practitioner in sports performance.
0: I think it's important, and I I think a lot of us are curiosity driven. I know I certainly am, and I just appreciate learning. But the more you know, the more you learn, the more you know, the more questions you have, and ultimately, the better I think you become. And now I've, I've kind of taken the stance at this point that. I do believe that we as practitioners have a moral obligation to train the neck because, because of that, it can prevent concussions. And one of the more chilling statistics that I came across was that those who experience concussion are twice as likely to commit suicide. And that's, that's heart wrenching. It's chilling. It gives me chills thinking about it. And so I train a lot of female soccer athletes and I just can't help but wonder, and I'm a parent, I have two girls myself and, you know, two boys and, if there's anything I can do to help protect them, protect their brain, then I think, especially now that I know better, that I have an obligation to do so. So anyways, I just think rabbit holes are important because it just helps you continue growing. You don't stay stagnant and just makes you better and makes the people around you
1: better. Thanks. So start rabbit holing for sure. Um. So this was great. I look forward to seeing you in a, in a month or so. And uh, maybe I'll see you on TSP as a, as a host soon. <laughs> Let's do this. All right, man. Thank you.